And don't forget, we have more cases than anybody in the world. But why? Because we do more testing. When you test, you have a case. When you test, you find something is wrong with people. If we didn't do any testing, we would have very few cases. All right. Welcome back to Last Week in Medicine. It has been a while again. That it has. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We're back, though. We're here. So what is it? Still here. July 9th. I think our last one was beginning of June, so it's been over a month. Last month in medicine. <laughs> yeah. We're really getting our butts kicked here. So, uh, yeah. So has anything changed since the last time we talked? <laughs> Recovery. <laughs> yeah, there's been some stuff. Um, it's gotten bleaker. Probably. I don't remember exactly. I mean, you know, the last couple of weeks, like, case counts have just kind of taken off, huh? Yeah. Yeah, the United States is not looking good. Like, we were just talking, like, when we first started talking about coronavirus on the podcast, you know, we were, like, freaking out if there was, like, 50 cases worldwide. And now there's over 3 million cases in the world. And in the United... Or, sorry, there's over 12 million cases in the world and over 3 million cases in the United States yikes and i just looked and it's 132,934 deaths in the united states here in utah we were doing okay for a while but then once people started relaxing yeah like they had this great campaign that was like it's working utah stay strong and now it's just stay strong utah (laughs) because it's not working so, like, people have relaxed. Herbert's going to mandate masks in schools, though. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. Where are your masks? Our governor has not gone with the whole mandatory mask thing yet because liberty and freedom right, and right. all of that. Don't tread on me. Yeah. Nonsense. So, Utah is now at 27,356 cases with 205 deaths. Um Yesterday, we set a new record for the number of positive tests. It was 721 in one day, which is, like, not that much compared to some other states. But like Texas. Yeah. Texas had over 10,000 yesterday. But um, it's, it's a lot for Utah. I mean, we're not a very populous state, so that's a lot of it's people. It's too many. It's, yeah. it's, all, it's all across the board too many. And it's, you know, in Utah, it's disproportionately affecting people, like, on the western side of the Salt Lake Valley. Um, and, yeah, it's... It's, it's been kind of tough. So I was, you know, we have a dedicated COVID unit in our hospital now where it's kind of a lockdown unit. You have to wear a papper to go in and you even like change your scrubs and stuff. And so I did that unit for a week, a couple weeks ago. And it's, it's pretty, it wears you down. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, but, you know, it, it, one thing that was good uh, that week that I was working was, um, you know, I felt like we finally had something to offer patients. You know, I was able to get quite a few patients emergency use from Desivere, you know, which we talked about on the last podcast, you know, there's some evidence that it does seem to shorten duration of symptoms. So quicker recovery with that drug, um, probably no mortality benefit. But then this new paper preprint came out. Um, First press release. Yeah, well, there was the press release that came out. And then and then this uh, preprint science by that we want to talk about. And it's about dexamethasone. So we want to talk about that today. Um, anyone who's Recovery. on anyone who's on Twitter, I'm sure, has already seen a lot of discussion. So don't you want to hear our two cents? This? Yeah, exactly. Well, you can listen to qualified <laughs> statisticians, microbiologists, and uh, wait, experts. where where are those people? Oh, 
Don't you want to listen to our podcast on but recovery? Those people aren't making a podcast. <laughs> right. They're right. just they're just tweeting into the void. And we, and we're just talking we're into, the void. into the void. <laughs> yeah. Anyone out there? <laughs> so I mean this this paper though is exciting because you know no previous trials have shown a mortality benefit for any treatment. So you know, everyone was pretty intrigued when a group out of Oxford in the United Kingdom put out a press release saying that they had data that showed dexamethasone saved lives uh, in patients with COVID-19. Uh, so people were pretty skeptical at first. I mean, who puts out a press release before the paper is published? That sounds like something a pharmaceutical company <coughs> like Gilead, Gilead. <laughs> would do <coughs> to juice their stocks. Uh, but this isn't like that. There isn't some powerful dexamethasone lobby or company who has a big conflict of interest. Of. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's Deep state. <laughs> trying to push their drug. Um, also, it's funded by the United Kingdom National Institute for Health Research and their Medical Research Council. And it's a practical trial and really pretty impressive when you look at how fast they put it together and recruited practical patients. Practical the key word there, I'd say. Like, yeah. I mean, like, well-designed and we'll get into it, but yes, very fast. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, it's, so it's called a platform trial because they're running multiple arms um, in this trial, uh, looking at several possible therapies, but they stopped it early um, when, when they saw that the dexamethasone arm showed a mortality benefit, and they felt like it was unethical to not share that information with other physicians now that cases are spiking all over. So the study period was from March 19th to June 8th and included a whopping 11,320 patients from 176 um, National Health Service hospitals, which ended up being 15% of all hospitalized COVID patients in the United Kingdom. So that's pretty impressive. Yes, big numbers. Um, so patients could be included if they were hospitalized and had a positive SARS-CoV-2 test or were clinically suspected to have it, which is different than other studies that we've looked at. And, and notable. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. Uh, the exclusion criteria are vague. Uh, basically, it None. was up to the <laughs> attending physician to determine if there was any contraindication to participating in the trial. And so uh, initially, they were only recruiting people over the age of 18, but then they did change that requirement in, on May 9th. And this trial is also notable because they did include pregnant women, which yes. is very rare that any trial has the guts to do that. They were just like... Do you think? Do you have COVID? Might you have COVID? Be in our trial. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, that guy seems like he has COVID. Do you want to be in this trial? <laughs> so yeah. So they ended up randomizing uh, 2,104 patients to um, with with suspected or or positive COVID-19 to dexamethasone, and then there were 40 or sorry, uh, 4,301 patients who got usual care, and uh, the the protocol was dexamethasone, six milligrams daily for 10 days or until hospital discharge. And it could be given oral or IV because I believe the bioavailability is basically the same yes. or the conversion is. So, yes. so uh, primary outcome was mortality within 28 days of randomization. It was not some random ordinal scale <laughs> from one to seven or one to scale, eight. You so. missed that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a hard, hard outcome. Mortality. Hard outcome, mortality at 28 days, but the data was collected at discharge or death also. Yeah. So like 28 days was the longest the patients were followed sure. up, but 
if they were discharged, like that was the end of it also. Uh-huh. Uh, secondary outcomes included time to discharge from hospital and how many patients who weren't requiring invasive me- mechanical ventilation at the time of randomization subsequently required mechanical ventilation or died. Um, all of their analyses were done on an attention-to-treat basis. So looking at the patients they included, the mean age was 66 years. Uh, 36% were female, 24% had diabetes, 27% had heart disease, 21% had chronic lung disease, um, and over 50% had some kind of comorbidity. Uh, 82% had lab-confirmed infection, and 9% were still waiting for results. Right, so possibly 18% of patients did not have COVID. Possibly, yeah. Uh, at randomization, 16% were receiving invasive mechanical ventilation or ECMO. 60% were receiving some form of oxygen, which included non-invasive ventilation. So the oxygen group is a pretty, you know, diverse group. You could be on supplemental oxygen or high flow or even BiPAP. And they were giving oxygen for SATs of 92 to 94%. Yeah. So anything... 92 or less got oxygen is how I interpreted that. They didn't yeah. come out and say that. But yeah. Well, even 94, you could put someone I guess, on oxygen. Yeah, yeah. So apparently the British are way more terrified of hypoxemia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, here we do it 90 or I guess. We're, what do we're, you do? That's actually a good question because I've read stuff that's like this per, quote unquote permissive hypoxia is very bad in COVID. Oh, really? Like we say. I mean, I just want them over 90. You want them over 90? If you're 89, I'm going to give you oxygen if you have COVID. That's right, but I wouldn't do that for, like, COPD. I'd be, like, 87. Really? Which is completely, like, there's no, the crazy thing about oxygen is there's no data for almost any condition <laughs> to use oxygen outside of, like, COPD, right? Sure. So, yeah, I we guess have no idea we what probably it shouldn't say there's no data. We're just not aware of it <laughs> and haven't reviewed it in detail. There is probably is not, data out there. That is that's not, a blanket statement. That's not Last Week in Medicine's official position. That's, a, uh, that's an Austin Rupp That's position. just an Austin Rupp thing. I cannot endorse that. Okay. But it is crazy. Anyway, 20, 24% of patients were on room air, so they must have had a SAT of 95% or more the entire time they were in why the hospital. Why they were in the hospital. So why were they even in the hospital? It's weird. That's a good question. Uh, can you Can you get admitted just because you don't feel good? So the median duration of dexamethasone received was six days. So I think that's notable. And some patients only got one day of dexamethasone in that arm, mm-hmm. but the median duration was six days. And then they also looked at, you know, other medications patients received that were potentially for COVID. So quite a few patients in both arms got azithromycin, about 23%. Um, and this so, was early days, and France was like... I mean, this was March. What was that guy's name? Rayalt or whatever? March to June. He was, he was hot topic back then. <laughs> that, that crazy Frenchman. Didier. Man. Um, yeah, so should we talk about... The, the big outcome. So tw- yeah. 21.6% of patients who received dexamethasone died within 28 days compared to 24.6% of patients who received usual care. So that's a 3% absolute risk reduction with a relative risk of um, 87%. They actually did an age-adjusted hazard ratio because um, I guess the patients in the which arm was it? They were like 1.1 years older than the yeah. other arm. I think the usual care arm was older than the dex arm. No, wasn't it the dex arm? No. Was 
Okay, I have it here in the paper. It was definitely the Dex arm. So Austin was wrong with the record show. <laughs> anyway, so they did an age-adjusted. So the number came out to 0.83. Uh, so the risk of death for patients who receive steroids was 83% of the risk of usual care. And the relative risk reduction would have been 17%. And the number needed to treat was somewhere around 33 patients. Does that sound right? That was the math I did. I don't have that here. <laughs> yeah, I did the math on the subgroup analyses, but yeah. not the uh, primary analysis, which is maybe the primary problem with this paper. Subgroup. Yeah. Analysis. So anyway. then, so that's where the paper gets kind of funny. Is then they really dive into these pre-specified subgroups. However, primary outcome met all comers who got DEX. Yeah. Sir, did better. Whether they, or they not survived. they were on oxygen. Right. They. As a group. As a group. Had a mortality benefit. Which is what the trial was designed to detect. But then they went and cut it up into subgroups. And uh, where are the subgroups? And the, it was, you know, it was, it was striking. So the patients who were ventilated, um, they found that dexamethasone reduced the risk of death by one-third. So the relative risk was 0 0.65 with the number needed to treat of eight. And uh, by one-fifth in patients receiving oxygen only remembering that that group is quite diverse, um, but relative risk there of 0 0.8 with a number needed to treat of 25. They found no benefit in the subgroup of patients not on oxygen, so the patients with a SAT of 95 or higher. <laughs> that relative risk was 1.22, so some people suggested maybe that was even a signal towards harm, but the, the P-value value yeah. was 0 0.14. And it crossed, yeah, crossed one, mm -hmm. so not a, not a clear signal for harm. So um, they also looked at subgroups of how long patients had had symptoms, and for the patients who'd had symptoms for more than seven days, who were also more likely to be on mechanical ventilation, they had the best mortality benefit from being on dexamethasone, and they hypothesized that maybe that's because those are the patients with more inflammation, because that seems to be the pathophysiology of this disease. Um, you know, you get the virus, you get viral replication, and then seven days in, boom, you have this surge, quote-unquote, cytokine, cytokine storm. storm. <laughs> Who knows if that's really what's going on. I actually read an interesting editorial in JAMA yesterday that kind of made the case that, that maybe that's not happening, but whatever. No one knows. Uh, it, it makes pathophysiologic sense. People like it because it makes for a nice graph. Right, you got the two th one the viremia coming down, the immunopathologic injury going up. So, so yeah, so maybe Dex is better for people who've had it for a while. And I would say, in my experience, I've, I've definitely had patients. They have a fever, they get tested, they get admitted, and then we discharge them a few days later, and then seven days later they come back because they're now they're sicker. Yeah. And so, are those the patients that benefit from dexamethasone? Don't know, because this study wasn't designed to answer that question. Perhaps. But maybe. Uh, so yeah, this is a pretty incredible finding, wouldn't you say? I would. I think, um, yeah. So this, we, should, we should be treating everyone with this, right? This is, this is standard of care. <laughs> no, I think it's, I've never come across a study that's been so, like, in, you know, reviewed in depth by so many people. Before it's actually so, published. Before it's published <laughs> with so many takes, right? Oh, so many takes. There's a, there's a huge spectrum of commentary and, and yeah. perspectives on this. And we got deep in it. We did get deep in it. So It was a dark, dark rabbit hole of takes. <laughs> I think the biggest criticisms that we've come across or that I've come across is that 
up to 18% of folks didn't have COVID. However, you would think that Up that to would... 18, but it was probably more like 9 or 10%. Right, okay, it's fine. But yeah. that should wash the effect out then, right? Yeah, that should bias towards the null, right? right? Right, so not sure that's a great criticism. But they were randomized as well. So you had like equal numbers on both sides that had... Negative Didn't tests. have COVID. So, I mean, that's why randomization is important. But yeah, that was a funny criteria. But I think since it's a pragmatic trial, they're just trying to enroll as many yep. people as they can. Yep, agreed. It's not blinded. So, you know, that... that it was not blinded. Mentioning. Yeah, but I guess the, the kind of the, the comeback for that is, well, does it matter if it's blinded if there's a mortality benefit? Like, I don't know. It would be I mean, nice can, if they had, had have bi- you know, that can it introduces bias, bias. Yeah. if I know I'm giving my patient dexamethasone, sure. I'm try harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, these are vented patients. Like, they are sick, and there was still a mortality benefit. I don't know. Agreed. I think all the criticisms can be sort of addressed with sure. it's a mortality benefit in a randomized <laughs> controlled trial. Yeah. That's the answer to every criticism. Yes. Um, we, we also note that... Our mortality in the United States is lower than what the UK has been. That's true. UK reported. Their mortality rate was crazy high. It was like 40% for vented patients. Right. Quite a bit higher than ours here. What's, right. what's ours here in Utah? Yeah, our, our local numbers um, are... Shoot, I have them here. Oh, uh, the ICU mortality thus far is 32%. Okay, so, so that's lower, but it's, it's lower. still kind of high. It is. It's com- it's you know comparable. Our inpatient care is fifteen point one percent versus about twenty six percent there. Isn't that just like a reflection of excellent hospitalists? I think so. Yeah, I think we are directly responsible for that. Good job, Austin. You too, Doctor Jenkins. <laughs> so that's worth noting. Um, you know, if more people are dying, maybe you see a false, a false positive. Um, because, you know, like you would need a much bigger trial if your mortality is overall lower. Right? Yeah, yeah. But this is a massive trial. Agreed. Agreed. You know. And then potentially the biggest criticism that I think is is somewhat valid is that they did not track adverse events or do a safety analysis. And that the follow-up was at the most 28 days, but in some mm-hmm. instances mm-hmm. shorter. So how many of these patients got readmitted with a super infection with bacterial pneumonia, mm-hmm. et cetera? Um, we don't know that, and we don't have a sense of that. And so accurately reflecting the risk-benefit equation for dexamethasone, is, is we don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, I guess we don't know the risks for sure, but we could also argue that dexamethasone's been around for a while, we use much bigger doses in cancer patients. And, like, you know, you get those patients with, like, a met in their spine or something, and you're just, like, crushing them with dex. Sure. Um, and, like, dexamethasone, 6 milligrams, is pretty close to 40 of prednisone, which we just give out, like, candy in the <laughs> hospital. Like, oh, you have COPD? Here's 40 of pred. You know, oh, you have some undiagnosed rheumatologic disorder? <laughs> Here's a gram of solumedrol. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, this is, like, not that big of a dose, actually. And I don't think we worry too much with our COPD patients that they're all going to get, you know, some weird invasive fungal infection because they had five or six days of prednisone. doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But I think overall, you know, there's other potential risks of steroids that people talk about. Um, You know, 
there's one theory that it prolongs viral replication or viremia if given too early. I think that's mostly theoretical. I don't think anyone's proven that. I mean, you, there have been some studies with earlier viruses like uh, SARS-1 and MERS that did show, you know, persistent viral replication, but it wasn't necessarily like those patients did worse, mm -hmm. right? So also you worry about hyperglycemia, but I mean, we deal with that. I don't worry about hyperglycemia. I don't really either. I mean... <laughs> We've had patients drinking five liters of soda a day. That's much more bad for your health. Um, also, you know, patients with ARDS, you know, you worry about extra fluid retention that you get with steroids, but dexamethasone is more of a glucocorticoid, less mineral corticoid, so it's not going to cause that much fluid retention. And then there's always like bone disease, avascular necrosis, but that's like long-term steroids, right? Like you're not going to give some old person osteoporosis because you gave them six days of dexamethasone. I think maybe one underrated thing is like psychosis and delirium that you can get. Like, I'll admit, I gave a patient dexamethasone two weeks ago, and she might have been readmitted with a little bit of delirium. <laughs> I'm not going to blame the steroids. Blame the COVID. The I COVID mean, causes delirium. Sure. But <laughs> like, does. I do think, you know, especially inpatient, patients are already at high risk for delirium. Steroids is not going to help that probably. Sure. It's going to amp them up, that's for sure. What other criticisms you got? Well, I think those were um, sort of the biggest ones. Yeah. You know, I think uh, other ones that I saw mentioned least, in yeah, the Twitter sphere. Yeah, there's this, this concept of alpha spend where I was like, what the heck is that? So so basically, you know, with, with clinical trials, you're going to have some interim analysis, right? Well, apparently... Repeatedly testing interim data can inflate your false positive error rates if you don't handle it appropriately. And so there's this thing called group sequential methods that are commonly used for the quote-unquote, I don't, I don't know what I'm everyone. talking about. Keep up, Frequentist <laughs> approach to control the error rate. So this is called alpha spending. I don't know what I'm talking about. But it's one way you can try to control for the type 1 error rate while also allowing flexibility in how many interim analyses you're conducting and at what times. And the criticism I've been reading is that this paper doesn't talk about that, like how they controlled for that, so that, you know, it's kind of a, a statistical methodological issue. But again, we're seeing this big mortality benefit in a very large trial. Yeah, it could be a false positive. And I think Probably one of the most common criticisms I've heard about this paper is it's too good to be true. Like, and it's steroids. And it's steroids, which always look good and yeah. then on subsequent trials don't work. And so I think a lot of people are jaded and cynical. And I think our default position is to be cynical. But I feel like this is the best data we have right now for a drug. And it's cheap. And it's fairly low risk. You know, what's remdesivir going to cost? Right. Like five we, to ten thousand dollars. In the setting of coronavirus, this is by far the best. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're doing stuff that had no evidence for whatsoever right. at the beginning. Like everyone's stoked to give convalescent plasma, and there was a lot of Plaquenil getting dished out at the beginning. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say we're not doing that anymore. But right. I mean, you could go back and take sound bites from our previous podcast that make us look like <laughs> complete morons and now, hypocrites. But, yeah, but now we have good. You know, we have reasonably good data. No one should die without Dex. From coronavirus. That's I agree. for sure my position yeah. in, in that instance. That's, you know, that's a good point. I think there's a... But also it's important to note that the patients who got... Like, yes, I don't want them to, to die without getting it, but I don't even want them going to the ICU before they get it. Because 
they, they did show that the patients who got it were less likely to end up mechanically ventilated. Right. I do so think... So you could, might be able to prevent ICU transfers. I think that it's... Cl- for, for me, I'll tell you... So let's just... What's I'll, my take? I'll tell you my take. <laughs> my take is that for ventilated patients with long, with with greater than seven days of symptoms, it's a no-brainer. Give them dexamethasone. Okay. I think for patients that get admitted to the hospital with higher oxygen requirements, four, six, you know, higher higher levels of O2 supplementation that are trending in the wrong direction, that you should give them dexamethasone. I think it's a gray area for a significant proportion of our patients who are admitted because they don't feel well, have low-grade fevers, and are requiring one to two liters of supplemental oxygen, stay that way for multiple days on the floor, or have been that way for multiple days on the floor. I'm not sure that they benefit. You know, their SAD is is not that, they're not that sick. They're kind of just here because we don't know what direction they're going to go. They don't go any direction, and uh, I'm not sure they benefit. Hmm. I think that's a defensible position. Um, I'm just going to say this paper showed a mortality benefit in all comers, so I think anyone hospitalized, especially if they need oxygen, I'm going to give it to them. I'll feel great if they've been sick for seven days. That'll make me feel like, ooh, this physiologically is going to help you. But I think I'm just going to offer it to everyone. I do think shared decision-making is important. I'm not going to force it on anyone. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think, you know, we've we've been pretty aggressive about giving people remdesivir if they qualify. And at our hospital, you have to be on four liters of oxygen to get remdesivir. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of patients decline participation in that because they're like oh it's experimental i don't want to like try that but like dexamethasone like i've you know pretty much everyone i've offered it to is like yeah hook me up with that (laughs) so um yeah so i think that that's my take here's an interesting question though so everyone talks about how steroids have no benefit in viral pneumonia or ards right but we've i mean we've talked about that one trial in the Lancet, the DEXA ARDS trial back in February, yeah, that showed a mortality benefit in ARDS. And that was a heterogeneous group, right? There was a lot of pneumonia, sepsis, that kind of stuff in that group. Mm-hmm. But there was a mortality benefit. And it was a similar number needed to treat as this trial. It ended up being a, a number needed to treat of six or seven, I believe. And, and for this one, it was eight or nine for ventilated yeah, patients. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like... Is this a question or a comment? Okay, that was definitely a comment. <laughs> I'm Alan Morris, okay? No, so, 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 so people talk about though, like, oh, steroids don't work, but there, there are trials that show steroids work. Adrenal trial, the approaches trial showed benefit from steroids. But what's really interesting to me, this is where my question comes okay, in, got it. is why don't we have a giant randomized controlled trial of influenza and steroids? That is a good question. That trial does not exist because I looked for it. So there was a, a a nice systematic review published in 2019. Right? No, it's not. <laughs> it does not. Worth mentioning that the number needed to treat of nine is like almost better than anything we do. Just as an aside. Yeah, that's an insane number. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's why it is a no-brainer for ventilated patients. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even 25 or 33 is a, still a pretty good number needed yeah, to treat. Yeah, aspirin and STEMIs has a number needed to treat of like 42. Yeah. What about a PCI though? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Probably. Um, so, yeah, so I looked at this 2019 uh, systematic review meta-analysis. It was published in Critical Care, and it, it compared placebo um, with patients who got steroids. Um, or, sorry, it found that patients who got steroids had a higher mortality risk, longer ICU length of stay, and a higher rate of secondary infection. But none of the papers in that uh, meta-analysis were randomized controlled trials, right? All they were all 
Well, some of them are prospective, but they were all observational studies. Hmm. Then I found a 2019 Cochrane review of steroids as, adjunct as adjunctive therapy for influenza. They found 30 studies that looked at steroids and influenza. Only one of those studies was a randomized controlled trial, but it was actually looking at steroids in community-acquired pneumonia, and it happened to include 24 patients who tested positive for influenza. So 24 patients, that's it for randomized controlled <laughs> trial data and influenza. Obviously, that's too small of a number to draw conclusions. And the review authors said that the certainty of available evidence from observational studies was very low, with confounding by indication a major potential concern. So obviously, patients who are sick, who are in the ICU, you've already got them on pressors, they're not responding to fluids. I mean, what do you give them? You give them steroids, right? Absolutely. So I think any well, observational study is going to be confounded by how sick the patients are. So this is what I'm calling for. This next fall, we need a freaking randomized <laughs> controlled trial for influenza. Why haven't we done it yet? We're just like sitting on a mountain of observational data why haven't we done the RCT? Maybe it works. Maybe we're letting people die of influenza for no reason. Could be. That's my take. Yeah. So, decide for yourselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. We can't tell you what to do. We will say there's quite a bit of dissent in our group. Yeah. It's, it's I would say it's not, a, it's not a closed, you know, closed issue in our group. A lot of people are against giving it. So, I do think, I mean, more studies needed, which you can always say, right? Um but I'll, I'll be interested to More see. More studies needed. It will be. I mean, it needs to be replicated, right, and maybe the effect size won't be as big. That's possible. What if the next one is completely negative? Well, see, that's the that's the problem with steroids. Is we're in a we're in a pro steroid you know environment right now for several different critical critical diseases, critical illnesses. But um, I think there's been historical times when. That's not been the case. And yeah. the ebb and the flow is... The pendulum is pro-steroid right now. The pendulum tends to swing, is my sense, but we've been doing this for three years, so, you know... We're obviously the, experts. Right. The pendulum swing, We maybe we haven't experienced the pendulum swing yet, but I don't know. Good study, I think. Yeah. More to come, probably. No one should die without Dex. In COVID. 2020. 2020. All right. Yeah. Okay, so should we say goodbye now? We should say goodbye. Goodbye, All right. everyone. We'll see you Look guys in next... a week, two weeks, a month. We don't know. Well, our next episode. Oh yeah. We, do, we think we have a special guest. Next week we will have a special guest, so watch out for that. Watch out. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs>